0: Welcome to more than a few words, a marketing conversation for small business owners. MTFW is a production of Rampeg, where we help small businesses become big businesses. As always, you can join the conversation by calling in with your questions at 805-285-9865. Or you can share your thoughts on Twitter. Be sure to use the hashtag MTFW. Now, let's get the conversation started. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to another week. Um, This is Lorraine, and today we are going to be talking with T. Ray Phillips um, about succession planning. Hey, T. Ray, how are you today?
1: I'm very well. Thank you very much. How are you?
0: Just great. I'm really excited that you could do today's show because I think this is a really important conversation for business owners to have. A lot of times, a lot of what we're talking to business owners about is how to get started. But I think it's equally important to have one eye on how do you get out? And you had some really interesting statistics and I'd love you to do two things kind of as we kick off. First, why don't you tell people, I mean I know that you're a, a financial planner but you really specialize in succession planning. How did you kind of come to this area of focus?
1: Well, uh, Lorraine, actually it it's a it's a very fun story about my own family's um uh, opportunity in business back in the land run of 1889 in Oklahoma. It was my great-great-grandfather's business and uh, and he had struggles transitioning it to his sons back in the 1920s. And we can get into more detail, but that's uh the challenges that they faced in the 20s are the same things that families have faced in, in generations before, uh, as well as the decades since uh, and up to what I'm dealing with today.
0: Awesome. So um, so really this came uh, about, and, and let's talk just a little bit about some of those stories and then we'll switch over to kind of how it applies today.
1: Sure. Absolutely. I think they're very relevant. I mean, I've always said history repeats itself until we choose to learn from it. So there's lots of stories out there that are ready for us to learn from if we just want to pay attention to them.
0: Okay. So one of the first things that um, uh, really strikes me on on some of the statistics that you shared with me is that 52% of all business owners... Um, expect to get out of their business in the next 10 years? Yeah, How many that, of these are really ready for that?
1: Well, the the problem is is it, the, most of the reason why there's so many that want to transition out or expect to is mainly because of the age. I mean, you have the, the average age of the owners today are in their 60s, is over the age of 60. So there's just some statistics plan themselves out or people want to be out. But the problem is most people aren't, even at that age, are nowhere near ready for any of that transition, even if they want to be gone in 10 years.
0: So what are some of the um, things that a business owner needs to start doing? And, and I'm going to use myself as an example. I know it's hard to believe, but I'm in my 50s. And, yes, I want, to do round, I, I want to be involved in Round Peg for the rest of my life, but maybe not at the same level that I am now. What kind of things... Should I be thinking about
1: Well, that's a very good one, and I think this applies to everybody, not only just yourself lorraine and 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 the first one and the most common one that I see happening with with uh, with owners, is the fact that they stay highly dependent on the cash flow of their business to support their lifestyle. But the problem is is if they're the, if they're highly dependent upon that cash flow, and they're the only ones generating that cash flow then there's no way to really wind down, as you've described, you may want to do uh, and mm-hmm. in a standard of living.
0: So um, as, uh, when, when, when you're working with a business owner whose lifestyle is really driven by the cash flow of the business, what kind of suggestions um, are you, uh, you know, what kind of things can they start doing?
1: Well, you know, the the, the first one you almost this goes back to just fundamental financial planning, and it's you know, do, do they even understand what the cost of their lifestyle uh, is? You know, they've done the math, uh, and that doesn't mean they go down to every you know nickel and penny and and find out how much they spend on utilities. But at the same time, you know, if, if, do you need a hundred thousand dollars a year to live to maintain the things and the choices you have, or is it two hundred or, or or some other number? um and uh and and does the do, do you know what how many assets you need to have invested so when you want to wind down or stop your in your business uh, or sold it and it's no longer generating you income that your assets can replace that lifestyle so if they uh so that's that's i'm going to call it that's step one there's more to it, but that's step one
0: okay, and so they start to do that um now, uh, so they start to look for ways because a viable business is one that uh, I've always been told can operate without you, maybe not as well, but if you go on for a, if you go for a vacation, do sales get closed? Do projects get finished? If everything stops when you're gone, you don't really have a business.
1: Well, you have a job. Yeah, no. My terminology on that is 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 a distinction between a lifestyle business and a and a transferable company. and And you're correct that the company that can run without you, that if you go away for more than two weeks or a month and the business still grows or or operations still continue, you have pretty darn close to a transferable business um, that you can either you know keep as an owner and just generate you know live off the cash flow. Um, uh, or, or sell it, you know, if you don't want the risk of owning it anymore and the burdens that come along with it. But a lifestyle business, um, uh, you know, is one where that doesn't happen, but that doesn't mean you're unsuccessful if you have a lifestyle business. Uh, it no, just, okay. it just. go ahead.
0: Well, I was going to say, it's not that you're unsuccessful. You can be very successful. I, I have friends who are um, professional speakers, and they make a lot of money as professional speakers but if they stop talking there's no business.
1: Well that's true and there is no business and that can be okay. That's still an exit plan if those same professional speakers have done well on their investing on the outside when they no longer can generate income from speaking anymore. Um, So if you want to stay in round peg until you're you know 80 years old you know that's fine but have we measured to the extent that if you stopped generating revenue from Round Peg, that your lifestyle maintains the same. So that's um, that, that's why I say that's the critical step one. And if somebody is not willing necessarily, and I'm not saying that they have to, if they don't want to lower their standard of living today, then they have to go back to their business, and say how do I grow the business today in such a way to where the excess cash flow can be pulled out of the company and saved, not spent or added to lifestyle, but saved in order to then – Um, uh, you know, retire or exit on your terms.
0: Absolutely. So let's let's assume that what we're looking at is it is a business that is more than a lifestyle business. There is revenue being generated through operations that are not directly dependent on the owner. But the owner still owns the business. What kind of things need to be done um, assuming that the owner has said, "Okay, you know, I'm backing out. I can I can live with this kind of cash flow from the business, or if we sell it, what kind of things does the business owner need to do once they get past that first lifestyle or or transitional business?"
1: Well, that, that's a good question because that's really the other criteria. Businesses are bought and sold because they have the ability to produce dependable cash flow, predictable cash flow, and they have a deep leadership team. So so generally, a leadership team has trouble being developed while an owner is dependent uh, on the company for their lifestyle and generates most of the cash flow so um, so therefore leadership gets leadership development gets uh, you know really never developed so step two um, uh, is is what are we doing to identify what's going to make a great leader for this company going forward so that you can <coughs> Uh, give that next possible leader the chance to make key decisions, chance to make mistakes. That's how we become better. Uh, And uh, and yet the company still survives.
0: And this is often difficult in a family business. Um, You may have great employees and wonderful children, but they may not be one and the same.
1: Well, that, um, that's very, very true, and it has a lot to do with because family businesses are, are really operating under two diametrically opposed systems at the same time. You know, the business is a business, and it, it, is, it lives and breathes off of making profit and making more profit and growing into markets. You know, it's, you know businesses don't never stay the same. They either get better or they get worse. So that's one system. But a family system is about equality, it's about love, it's it's you know, it's because we're family, and that's diametrically opposed to the business system. That doesn't mean they can't survive together, but most people have never been trained on how to communicate properly within a family business and, and interfere one system into the other without clarifying it.
0: And you you said something I heard you say this in a presentation one time and I love it, and maybe you can expand on that, and that is What's fair in business is not equal, and what's equal in business is not fair. What do you really mean by that?
1: You know that that, that um, people smile when I say that, especially if they're in the family business, because most of them get it, even though it's kind of it's often been unspoken. Too many times I see in businesses that are family businesses to where the family members. Again, because they're, they've been operating under, well, we've got to be equal to, to you know, the brother and sister, uh, both family members, if you will, would be paid exactly the same, even though their duties may be di- completely different. So a CFO might be able to justify making a hundred and twenty thousand dollar salary, but a, a, a you know a file clerk, you know, because maybe that's the capacity of that person within the company that's a family member, can't. Can't be paid $120,000 due to equality. So in business, what's fair is equal, or what what's fair in business is not equal, applies to the the compensation model of those that are family members employed by the business.
0: And also um, the idea that you know, kind of playing along with that um, is that just because they I mean, just because they're a family member doesn't mean they make more than an employee because that's the other side that I hear a lot of times when business owners are trying to develop that leadership. Um, I've I've talked to people who have worked in family businesses, and when you talk to them about why they left, what I often hear them say to me is, you know, yeah, you know, it was a great company, um, but I left because I wasn't a Jones. Because my, my last name wasn't the family last name, so I was never going to get the same equity at the table as a family member, even though I was doing as much or more. I would never have that same voice, I would never have that same input. And even people that are, you know, senior vice president, or I had someone who left a company where he was the CFO, and his takeaway was. And I think there's a real message there for business owners that if you're going to bring non-family members in, you need to be able to address this.
1: Well, in, in some ways you can, but there, it, you know, it is, in some ways, could, could be a dual-edged sword, but it's also, there, there are two elements here. There's a reward for labor, which meaning whatever your role and function is in the company, there's a compensation matrix out there. I mean, there's plenty of data out there. That can say this job, even if you're very good, probably pays in this range. And when somebody pays in that range or is paid in that range, then they should be very happy with that. There is differently a reward for ownership, and primarily why there's a separate reward for ownership is because the owners are the ones taking the risk. The owners have to, you know, are generally the ones to where if things don't go right. They're liable for payroll still, even though there may not be money. They have to go dip into their own pockets. They've put guarantees on loans. So sometimes, even the top executives have a a misunderstanding of that risk and, therefore, the commensurate reward uh, and yet expect to be paid exactly the same under whatever methodology. So that's just one side of it that I'm more defending the owner, but I think you're right as well. It's abused too much sometimes by the ownership, and that's why some people leave, as you described.
0: Well, and I think, then, the point is that as an owner, if you're looking at your kids and you're like, I love my kids, but they ain't going to be able to run this company, that you need to be looking outside the company to develop the talent, to be having realistic conversations with the people. Coming in and setting appropriate expectations.
1: Well, now that's very true because if if a family family wants to keep the ownership in the family, then absolutely, if that, if that's ever to succeed, a business owner should never ever promote family over competence, thinking that's going to you know not have any repercussions whatsoever. And so I think most of the times where you've where I've seen, and it sounds like with the people you've talked to that have left companies. What's probably occurring is more along those lines. It's it's that I'm never I, because I'm not a Jones, I won't be promoted into that capacity. Now when that's occurring, regardless of compensation model, that's a problem because anybody that's good will understand competency pretty clearly.
0: Yes, and I think that you know that um, you gave a really good example that you know ownership that you can give your kids an ownership stake in the business that does not, you know, if you have four kids and three of them don't really work in the business, they can have an ownership in the business without getting a salary from the business. And the one kid that's working in the business gets the salary. Um, But you can also set it up in a way that they don't really have um, uh, decision-making authority. So for them, if they're really not involved in the business, it's an investment. And it's it's more you know they're getting they're getting a distribution from it as an investment, but you know, I don't get to go to General Electric and tell them I didn't like the way they built that last light bulb.
1: <laughs> I get my
0: check and I shut up.
1: <laughs> That's very true. And I think the companies that set themselves up that way and run it properly like that are the ones that do well. absolutely if you if an, if a family member is not employed in the business, if the business cannot find a place for them to work. Um, that, that brings value to the company. They should not be employed. Now, some might even argue they shouldn't be an owner, but that's, that's a different, cold, different conversation, and there's really no right or wrong in that aspect. But within the context of what you were just describing, um, yes, I would generally say if somebody is trying to give ownership to a family member from, let's say, an estate equalization standpoint, give them non-voting ownership so that they can get a distribution, if there is one, of profit, um, because mm-hmm. somebody wanted to give that away. But that's the only method of which they're going to be rewarded from it. They should. Uh, the only other way to get rewarded is by being employed, but only if they're good. Yep.
0: And, you know, I'm going to tell you as a parent, that's really hard. Um, over the years, both of my children have worked at Round Peg at one time or another. And um, when they were good, they were very, very good. And when they weren't it was it was tough. I probably kept them around longer than I should and um that has that has repercussions not just on the business um it's messy, and it has repercussions in the family relationship as well
1: well it does and in the and re- and really the reason that that applies um whether, it, Regardless of the size of the business, it actually gets messier the bigger the business is, because now you're talking about real dollars, I mean big, big dollars. But it mm-hmm. can be just as emotionally destructive, even at, at you know, a, a, a very small operation, um, you know, uh, regardless of where it is. And that's a lot of times because I, I believe, and no family member should ever come into the business beyond maybe filing or sweeping floors or something very basic, until they have been employed outside somewhere else um, uh, and has received a promotion um, uh, and are bringing back to the company that, uh, in this case, maybe your company, Lorraine, or, or anyone uh, other family, they're, not, they're bringing back to the company something that truly will make that company better. And, um, uh, and, and that generally will solve most of the problems of having to then fire your own family member because, candidly, it's the right thing to do if you want the business to survive.
0: Absolutely. It is um, – uh, I've heard that said a lot. I used to work a lot with heating and air conditioning contractors. And um, uh, same thing, that the, the kids – that you they sent them to work for competitors they sent them to work in other industries not only is it better for the business i think it's also better for the um the young professional that comes back to their family business because they know they know what life is work like outside and they have a sense of their worth that is not tied up just with how mommy and daddy evaluate them.
1: Yep. They know yeah, what that's... they've
0: done elsewhere, and and so it's easier for them to present themselves as a professional.
1: Well, w- without question, and I think any family member and the the next step a family company that says, all right, we're going to accept back a family member once they've met this criteria. Uh, meaning they've worked for many years outside and, and earned some stripes and some talent and, that are bringing back. A family business should develop what's called a family participation plan that that is meant to be more of a contract, if you will. It doesn't have to be a legal one, but it, it's essentially a contract where it says, look, you know, your, your employment here is not because of your last name, but because of the worth that you bring to the company, and that's the only reason. And ownership is not a part of this conversation until you meet certain leadership criteria which has been very well spelled out and defined. Um, And and if a family member, is, if a family company is not willing to go that route, then yes, it's sort of like you're you're following the history will continue to repeat itself. People will have disappointments, emotional heartbreaks because they'll shortcut the system uh, and then have to make some tough decisions which are not fun.
0: Absolutely. And I and I think having that, you know, um in big companies you would have um
1: And get some rain up here, too. But, uh, Lorraine, let me kind of chime in on that because I think you're, you're very right. The, uh, is, this goes back to never promoting family overconfidence because there's an inherent element of our society that will look suspiciously, right or wrong, they'll do it, look suspiciously upon family promotions. I always tell owners, I say, you've got to hold your children to a higher level of standard than you would even your employees. So, yes, absolutely employment agreements, but it doesn't even end there. But that communication must go to the employee family member coming in saying, look, I'm going to hold you to higher standard. You're going to think I'm tougher on you than anybody else, and guess what? I am because I have to be in order for this company to survive and sustain it. Me and and your mom, and uh, as well as you, and pay your salary. Because if people leave because they don't believe us, then it, it doesn't. It, it's not worth it. So you have to hold family to a higher standard unapologetically. But you've got to communicate it and then follow through.
0: Yeah, it, there. Um, there was some very. I, I'm not even sure I can find a nice way to to, to use some of the terms that. Um, uh, people used to use to refer to the sons and daughters, like you would have a contractor who started a company, built a successful business, and the the names, the, sort of the way that, that that second generation was classified until they proved themselves, both from the other employees in the company, but also um, I thought, like, the salesmen who would call on the contractors, how they would view the sons and daughters and how they would treat the sons and daughters until they prove themselves. And and I think you used a phrase, you know, it's sort of that, you know, in in, uh, our judicial system, it's innocent until proven guilty. I think in business, it's incompetent until proven reliable.
1: I... I think if, if more owners followed that mentality, and especially communicated it, and uh, then we would have a lot of a lot fewer emotional turmoil, um, especially amongst family in family businesses. But this is also true even if you're not a family business, because I see these same mistakes being made. You know that you've heard the ter- We've all heard the terminology: uh, hire slow and fire fast. Well, that applies just as much to family, yes, even more so maybe, but but even to the non family people uh, members um, uh, in that aspect so um, so when I mentioned earlier about using a family participation plan, that's to allow people in above the street uh, the floor sweeper role, then the next one is successor development plan that an uh, a family member's got to follow and prove themselves with in order to be deemed worthy.
0: Awesome. Okay, so we have just a few minutes left. Um, Let's assume that a business owner has done these things. They've cultivated a leadership team. They have started backing away from the business in a way that proves that this is a viable entity that can run without them. Next step.
1: Well, if they've since if they've arrived at that point, I mean, the company's really running without them and so forth, and it's identified, you know, who probably would take over from a leadership role, and, and they also have determined that they don't always want to be the owner and bear those risks, even though they have high rewards, um, then it's time to be positioning yourself uh, and testing the waters as far as, you know, are you truly sellable? I mean, do, are, is there a marketplace for the company um, you know uh, whether it's uh, regional or otherwise, and how you got to do that is start measuring your financial results. I call them recasted financials to account for maybe the some things you get to benefit from as an owner. Recast them and then measure them against industry metrics to see if you're in ex- if you're doing better than the industry that you operate in. And to the extent that you're, that you're meeting or ideally exceeding industry performances across metrics, these financial metrics, um, and you've got this leadership team, then you can probably go find a merger and acquisitions company to go take you to market, to be sold, if, especially if you're trying to sell it externally.
0: And the same thing, though, you need to do all of those same steps, even if you're looking at transitioning the company to your employees. Because in order for it to be an equitable transfer, there still needs to be that sort of third-party validation of this is what the business is worth.
1: Yeah, you're correct. You, you do have to do that, but there's an additional reason to why you do it besides just the validation. I mean, the validation is the starting point without question, but the other side is that if you're selling it to internal parties, internal can be a family member, internal can be a key employee that's not a family member, the reality that we as owners must Remember, and we can never change this, this is one of those, you know, uh, you, you, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm losing the term, but anyway, you, you can't violate from this, is insiders will never have the money. Now, owners, advisors, the attorneys, the accounts, say, oh, sell it for cash, sell it for cash, or tell them to go get a bank loan. Well, the reality is that's not possible, and an insider will never have the capital, uh, uh, especially just in cash and in hand, to go buy out an owner, you know, day one. It won't ever happen. So, therefore, the cash flow of the business is the only method that's going to be used to buy out the owner. So, So if you're not measuring how you look attractively to an outside buyer, you're almost going to be impossible to sell it to an insider unless you just want to give it away.
0: Got it. All right. T. Ray, I could talk about this forever, but we are almost out of time. If people have questions, if they want to know more about the specifics of how you work with clients, how do they get in touch with you?
1: Well, they can first do a quick look on the online if they want to, you know, check me out without having to talk to me. Which is, I understand, sometimes they want to investigate. That's familybusinesslegacies.com. That's legacies is plural. familybusinesslegacies.com, All one word. Uh, that's my website. Uh, the other way, if they would rather make a phone call and just talk to me uh, directly, uh, it's three one seven. 208-6312, uh, and even that call, I'm happy to chat with them because we got to determine together if, if, uh, if they're in the right place to be, to be talking further. Um, so I'm happy to, uh, as, a, as a way of saying thank you, to talk for, you know, for free for several minutes, just answering some basic questions to get you started down the right path.
0: Awesome. T. Ray, again, this is really awesome information. Um, I want to thank you again for visiting with us. And for those of you that are listening, um, we'll have links to T. Ray's website from the blog post that's associated with this podcast. If you've enjoyed today's conversation and you want to learn more about business, marketing, social media, be sure to check out our blog at roundpeg.biz. This has been another episode of More Than a Few Words. Thanks for listening.
1: Thanks.